All right. Just to recap this morning on perspectives of Christmas, it's really funny because whenever I say perspectives, it's actually hard for me to get that out of my mouth. And for some reason, every time I've typed this word throughout this entire series, I've typed it in wrong. And it is a pain in the butt because for some reason, autocorrect doesn't know how to autocorrect a perspective. So I always have to go back and fix it. But anyway, we're going to recap first. So week one in this series, we talked about the shepherds and how Jesus made himself available and accessible to everyone. Um, his announcement of his birth was brought to, you know, it's, it's dark, but I, are you guys all good? Yeah. I turn off the stage like, I'm, I don't care because the sun is so bright. So uh, Jesus made himself available. He announced his birth. God announced Jesus' birth uh, through the angels to the shepherds. And then he made himself accessible by being born in a stable, being placed in a manger. And then the second week, we talked about Joseph and how his obedience led to his purpose. And it led to great purpose. Because ultimately what takes place is that Jesus, I'm sorry, Joseph, in his obedience, fulfilled prophecies, fulfilled so many things, because he was willing to be obedient to what the angels commanded him to do through the message of God. I don't know why, but just for some reason today, my brain is not clicking the way I want it to. And then week three, we talked about Mary and her willingness uh, to submit to God's plan. That Mary was told, hey, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. You're going to give birth to Savior and uh, it's going to happen even though you're a virgin. And she was just like, whatever, everything you said, may it come to pass. Now, this, is, this was a big deal. And we talked about that, and you can listen to that online. But today, we're going to talk about God's perspective on Christmas. This perspective is all-encompassing, right? Because when we think about God's perspective on Christmas, it envelops everything. Uh, we, we look back on the shepherd's perspective, right? Well, God's perspective shaped the shepherd's perspective because he was the one who sent the angels to deliver the message. God's perspective with Joseph, he was the one who sent the angels to deliver the message and directives. God was the one who sent the angel to Mary to give her the information of what was about to take place. So when we talk about God's perspective, it is overwhelmingly encapsulating everything that Christmas was. But what we also have to pull in regards to God's perspective on Christmas is that his perspective is so much greater and more powerful and not restricted by the moment. So God's perspective on Christmas should shape your perspective more than any other. Why? Because yes, we can pull Mary's perspective, we can pull lessons from Mary's perspective, and that we should be willing to submit to God's plan, because his plan is greater. We should learn from Joseph's perspective on Christmas because we learn that in his obedience that great things took place. We can learn from the shepherd's perspective and experience that God desires to see everyone come to him. But God's perspective isn't shaped by just that moment because his perspective was not about the moment, but it was about eternity. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at God's perspective on Christmas, and we're going to talk about why the purpose of Christmas is what shapes God's perspective 
on Christmas. So this morning we're going to be actually jumping around. And so the first passage we're going to turn to is actually found in Luke chapter 4, verses 42 and 43. And so uh, this, is, this is a passage of scripture where Jesus is, is surrounded by people. And this is what it says. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. So Jesus has, has left. He's by himself because he knows he needs time to pray, to recharge, to re-energize. And the people are coming to him because they don't want him to leave. Verse 43. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. You see, Jesus, in his life, knew his purpose. His purpose in life was to bring the good news, not just to the Jew, but to other surrounding towns. Listen, he was there for the Jews primarily, but he was there for everyone. And this is, this ties and falls in line with what we learned with the shepherds, right? That Jesus came not just for the people in the inn, not just for the prominent people, but he came for the shepherds. He came for everyone. And that's what Christmas is about when we talk about God's perspective. Christmas is about how God wanted everyone. It wasn't just about a family anymore in regards to the Israelites, the Jews. It wasn't just about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their descendants. No, no. It was about building a family of faith. That's what Christmas was and is about. It's about how God wanted everyone. Yes, he used the family to bless and restore and redeem the whole world. That's what Christmas was about. Looking back on the week after, we talked about Joseph. And we talked about how Joseph's obedience to God led to great purpose in life, but also in the kingdom. And in Luke 9, 56, we come across, actually, I'm gonna, I changed it up. Let's go to John 3, 17, and I'm going to explain why I changed it up here in a moment. John 3, 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, I'm going to, you ready for this? This is your nugget of knowledge that has nothing to do with the lesson, but it has everything to do with um, education. So for those of you who like education tidbits, Get ready, because you're about to get one. So I originally had Luke 9, 56, okay? Because as I was studying, I came across this passage, and I was like, wow, this is really good. And then I tried to find it in a different version or translation, and it didn't exist. I was like, well, that's frustrating. So in the King James Version, you actually come across this passage of Scripture in Luke 9, 56, that says this, For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. But if you look in the NIV, or if you look in the ESV, uh, if you look in any of these newer translations or versions, it doesn't exist. It's not there. And we look at that and we go, what? Why is that not a thing? Okay, so what happens when you create, I won't say create, when scholars come together uh, and they study the scriptures, they try to get as far back and as accurate to the originals as they possibly could. So when the KJV was released hundreds of years ago, there were some documents that they found that matched up and that passage of scripture was there. But over time, what they've learned is they found more accurate and more closer to the date of the original writings, and they do not find that passage in there. Now, does this change the scriptures? No, it doesn't change the scriptures because as I just did, I just found another verse that points to it. 
But the reason why you don't find Luke 9.56, that specific sentence in there, is because they didn't find it as valid to be found because of original autographs not containing it. Does that make sense? That's pretty, I mean, that's, that's it, again, just a tidbit, doesn't have to do with anything, but again, I already found another verse that works for it. So, Son of Man did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. So, again, when we look at God's perspective and God's purpose on Christmas, we have to understand that Christmas is about the life of Jesus, why he came in the first place. He came as a baby, yes, but it was why he was there in the first place that makes Christmas as important as it is. So Christmas is about what? Next, here we go, God's plan. Christmas is about how God has a plan for your salvation, not your destruction. I'm going to say that one more time. Christmas is about how God has a plan for your salvation, not your destruction. I, you know, listen, there are people out there, there are people out there who look at the church and they think that the church is just here to tell people that they're going to hell. No, no, no. The church is here to tell people about Jesus who came to earth to save people, not to destroy them. He didn't come to this earth to condemn people. He came to save them. Christmas is not about dividing the world and sending people to hell. It's about coming to redeem those who recognize that he is here to save them. Christmas is about how God had a plan for your salvation, not your destruction. And again, when I think about that, I think about Joseph, because when we're talking about plans and obedience, God was obedient in his plan. When you come to Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, God, this is, this is too great a burden, but not my will, but yours be done. And that kind of transitions us into what also Mary's willingness, right? And I think another passage of Scripture that we pull in understanding what Christmas is about. Again, Christmas is about how God wanted everyone. Christmas is about a plan for your salvation, not your destruction. And in John chapter 10, verses 9 through 11, we come to this. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. I want to look specifically at verse 10. So this is, this is Jesus talking. Again, Jesus is talking about his purpose, and he says, hey, I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. But then he brings this contrast. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. This does not say, I have come that you may have a life with no trouble. Okay, this does not say that I have come that you would have a prosperous life in regards to the eyes of the world. That's not what this says. What it says is that you would have life to the full. And if there's one thing I've learned in my 32 years, and I recognize, listen, I know I'm young, and people who are older than me always like, oh, pastor, thinks he's old. Look, I get that you're older than me, okay? I get that you have more life experience than me. But as you have gotten older than I, I'm sure that you can look back on your life and say, the reason why my life is full is not just because I've had ups, but I've also had downs and I've grown through them. I've been transformed not just by the highs, but also by the lows. 
And so when, when Jesus says, I have come that you would have life and have it to the full, Jesus says, I have come that you would be able to take advantage of every aspect of your life, that you would have it to the fullest, that even in your lows, that you can trust that I can redeem them. After all, what does Romans 8.28 says? And God will work all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. It is not a promise for everyone. It is a promise for those who call Jesus Lord and Savior. I can say all things are going to work out in the end for me because I follow Jesus. But that's it. Okay. And by that's it, I mean if you follow Jesus too, that's for you to declare too. It's a promise. Okay. Going back to verse 10. I'm going to go back to verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. What's amazing about this passage of scripture right here is that Jesus speaks to a contrast. And if we go back to Adam and Eve, He says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. And in the Garden of Eden, the devil threw the serpent, and he was the serpent, okay? That's what it was. He stole our innocence. He killed us with sin and destroyed our relationship with God. Okay, I'm going to say that one more time. In the Garden of Eden, our innocence was stolen. We were killed through sin, and our relationship with God was destroyed. Why? Because God's perfect, he's holy, and he can have no part of our unholiness and sinful life. But what Jesus comes to do, what Jesus comes to do, and he declares it again here in John 10, 10, is that I have come that they would have life and have it to the full. But what Jesus does and the plan that began at Christmas and is fulfilled at Easter is that Jesus came to do what? He came to restore that which was destroyed. He said, hey, this relationship was destroyed, I've come to restore because I know that you can. He said, hey, I know that you were dead in your sin, but I've come that you may have life through me. He said, I recognize that your innocence was stolen in the garden, but I'm here to fill you with my holiness so that you can also walk in holiness. Listen, Christmas is about how Jesus came to restore that which was broken. Christmas is about I'm going to get it right there. Christmas is about a more abundant life. He wants you to have a more abundant life. He doesn't want you walk around in, walking around in your sin. He doesn't want you walking around in defeat. He doesn't want you walking around feeling like there's no hope. He came so that you could have life to the fullest extent, so that even in your struggle, you can understand that there is someone greater who is looking out for you. So I, in my struggles in life, can declare, you know what? I don't understand why. I don't understand how. But God, I trust that you will redeem this for me. That's what this is about. That's what Christmas is about. It's about so much more than a baby. It's about, oh, I'm jumping ahead. I'm just, I'm, whew. I said at the beginning I was losing it, but I'm in it now. Matthew 21, 21 through 23. This is, here we go. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came to save people from their sins. Verse 12, on hearing this, Jesus says, I'm sorry, yeah, what am I doing? Matthew 9, 12 through 13. I don't know what I'm doing anymore. All right. 
on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick, verse 13. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come, for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. Pause right there, Bob. All right, so we have, she will give birth to a son, and you are to call his name Jesus. For what? His purpose will be to save his people from their sins. Before Jesus is born, his purpose is given. He's there to save people from their sins. And then in Matthew 9, Jesus is talking to the people, and he says this. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. What is Jesus here to do? He is here for the sinner who needs him. Not the person who thinks that they have it all together, but the person who needs Jesus. Listen, I, you know, I, I, it's really hard to convince an American they need Jesus because they think they already have everything they need. We live in a prosperous nation. We, we live in a prosperous nation. It's very hard to convince somebody that they need Jesus when you're like, what do you mean I need Jesus? I got food on my table. I got a roof over my head. I got all I need in my job. Yeah, but you're also like super depressed and you also feel like you have no fulfillment and no purpose. But see, in the eyes of the world, what we do is we push all those things down and we just walk through our depression every day and we walk in our anxiety every day and we just say, well, I have what I need and what the world sees because we care more about other people's perspective than our own self-worth and our own self-value. So instead of recognizing I have this deep need within myself, I just go, well, you know, in the eyes of the world, I'm okay. Jesus didn't come for the righteous. He didn't come for those who don't need him. He came for those who need him. He came for the sinner. When we go to the next passage of scripture, uh, I believe it's John, uh, is it John 6? Yeah, John 36, 37 through 38, uh, no, through 40. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Verse 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. Verse 40, for my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. You want to know what Christmas is about? Christmas is about our sin, it's about our forgiveness, and it's about our eternal life. Christmas is about your sin, it's about your need for Jesus, and it's about your eternal life with him in heaven. That's what Christmas is about. That's God's perspective. You know, as we've been talking the last few weeks, again, there's, there's lessons we can learn from the scriptures. But when we're talking about God and his plan and his purpose, this is what should transform your outlook on life. I mean, if, if he is the creator and he is the sustainer and he is everything we needed more and this was his plan and this was his purpose in Christmas, I'm pretty sure there's something of great value in it. And when I look at my life, man, I needed Christmas. I needed Christmas because I was lost. I needed Christmas because I was down. I needed Christmas because I had a need that I couldn't fix or fill myself. But Jesus came. Jesus came. And why did he come? 
most famous passage of Scripture in all the world, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. His one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now see, here's something that we got to pull, and I got to look in the room. And there, are those doors shut down there? Can everybody see? The doors are shut, right? Okay, good. Because what I'm about to say, I'm about, I have to be careful because, okay. One of the things we talk about in our household is that we don't give gifts at Christmas because you're good or bad. Because I didn't get Jesus because that was good. Christmas isn't about getting something that you earned or deserved. Christmas is about something we're given because it was needed. And why? Because God loved us. I don't give gifts to my kids because they're good or bad. They can earn allowance junk whenever they want. Hey, you did good today. We'll go to the dollar store. You can buy a piece of junk that will throw away in a week. But when it comes to Christmas, when it comes to birthdays, I don't give them things because they've earned it. I give it because I love them. And when you think about, when you think about Christmas, you understand that the gifts were not gold, frankincense, or myrrh. The gift was Jesus. The gift was an opportunity for our life to be restored with God. The gift was an opportunity for your sin to be forgiven. Did we deserve it? <laughs> no. But did he give it anyway? Yeah, he did. There was nothing that would stand in the way between God and us, including ourselves. Nothing. You see, Christmas is about God's love for us. When you think about that, the declaration you declare over your life on Christmas Day and this whole week, because I'll tell you right now, if you think it's been crazy, the, the week leading, everybody knows, the week leading up to Christmas is always worse than all the other weeks. So what you declare every morning when you wake up is about, is this, Christmas is about God's love for me. Christmas is about God's love for my spouse. Christmas is about God's love for my children. Christmas is about God's love for my cousin whom I want to smack in the face. That's what it's about. Church, we have what the world needs because we understand what Christmas is about. Because it's not shaped by what we want it to be. It's shaped by the one who orchestrated all of it. The one who sent an angel to shepherds. The one who chose Mary and Joseph. The one who said, I'm going to need you to go to Bethlehem. The one who said, I'm going to need you to flee to Egypt. The one who said, you're going to give birth to a baby even though you've never had sex. That guy who orchestrated all of that. He did it all for you. Christmas is <laughs> not about what took, is not just, I should say, not just about what took place 2,000 plus years ago. 
is about what took place in eternity. It's the beginning of the plan for your salvation. Worship team, could you come this morning? There was one thing, I mean, yeah, like I've just been saying, Christmas is just about God's love for you. But if we go back, there was a, there's a very, I don't want to say famous pastor, but he's, he's a large, he's a pastor of a large church. And uh, when people think, when people are asked the question, what would you say is the most prominent word in the Bible? You think of the Bible and, you know, everybody's like, the word is love. It's love. Well, I mean, yeah, right. But he says, no, it's gave. God loved, but in his love, he gave. Christmas is about so, it's about his love. But in his love, he gave you an opportunity to come to him. And when you look at Christmas, my prayer as your pastor is that you would take hold of that opportunity. And you would say, God, if you orchestrated all of those details for Christmas to be what it was 2,000 plus years ago, I'm pretty sure you can handle my life as well. I'm pretty sure you can handle my future. I'm pretty sure you can handle my plans and my dreams better than I could. I'm pretty sure you can handle my family. I'm pretty sure you can handle my disappointments. I'm pretty sure you can handle it all. Because if you're the God who orchestrated Christmas, you can orchestrate my life as well. God's perspective on Christmas should be one that builds your faith to say, I trust you because you love me. And you responded in your love by giving me your son. Jesus, as we wrap up in reflection and prayer, I pray that this morning we would all commit, we would all commit to say, I trust you, God, with my life. I trust your plan. Because God, even in my weakness and frustration, I, I recognize that you're still at work. God, if Joseph can travel 80 to 90 miles with a pregnant Mary, I can endure what I'm walking through. If Mary and Joseph can face shame, from everyone around them, I can face what I'm facing. And if you, Jesus, can endure the cross, scorning its shame, so that you could sit at the right hand of the Father in heaven, then God, I trust that you are stronger and more able to accomplish the task ahead of me. So God, this Christmas, may I recognize that Christmas is about your love for me, it's about your plan for me that I could be in relationship with you. And in Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. I normally don't do this, but I feel like this would be good for us today. Um, if you want to stay seated for this, that's fine. This, I feel like this is a good song, a declaration for where we are. That Jesus, God is enough. And as you come into Christmas, it may, you, listen, you may have disappointments in the coming week, but God is enough. He's more than enough. So 
Again, if you need to stay seated and praying and reflection, please do that. If you need to come to the altar, please do that. But if you're like, what am I going to do? Would you please please stand and sing with us as we declare this this morning?